Thank you for being here, and thank you, teenagers. Did they do a good job this morning? They have been, like everybody else, quarantined in some closet somewhere forever, and uh, so they led this morning, but thankful for them and their willingness to do so. We are starting today a brand new series, a uh, sermon study, if you will, uh, in the book of Titus. So we are going to be doing verse by verse in the book of Titus, and I truly, uh, I cannot say enough as to how... Uh, Neat is not the right word to say, but just how uh, incredible it's been to watch God move um, through the studies that we've done over the last, uh, I guess, going back to March, and then even leading us into to Titus, uh, having no idea uh, what would be, uh, that we would be living in, right? None of us could have imagined a shutting down the whole world for, I guess, now three months, whatever it's been, and who knows how much longer it will continue to be. None of us could have imagined the social things that we are seeing right now. Um, but the awesome thing is we have planned this uh, study for, I guess, six, eight months or so now, um, and how applicable and practical it is for the day and age in which we are today. And I, I say all of that, um, I, I've, I say this often, but I, I said this in the last couple services, was just... Um, the passage of scripture that speaks of God's word being alive, God's word being sharp, it's powerful, or it's powerful, sharper than two any two-edged sword, uh, it's, it never ceases to amaze me the longer that I study God's word, the more that I'm in God's word, how true that that is. Um, and something that was written thousands of years ago can be so applicable to today it's just, it's mind-boggling. And so I'm excited to dive into the book of Titus, and I'll explain how a lot of this kind of ties together. And my, my goal today is this. Um, my goal is that we would, I would give you a broad scope, of a broad picture of the book of Titus, what's going on, who's the writer, who is it writing, or writing to, written to, not writing to, uh, who it's written to, um, where this is, what part of the world that we're in, uh, and with that, what was the culture that it was in. And so I think one of the things that we skim over oftentimes, especially when we do a lot of topical studies, is we miss the actual, the, the, the meat of what was being written in that particular time. And so there's a reason that this was written the way that it was written based on where it was to be sent to. And so uh, we'll look at all of that this morning. And uh, my prayer, like I said, is just to give us a big overview. We'll hit a few verses, um, and then that'll lead us right into uh, the next seven, eight weeks of study in the book of Titus. And so in the very first verse of Titus chapter number one, it says, Paul, a servant of God. If you bounce forward a couple verses, in verse number four it says, to Titus, my true child, and then in five, it says, this is why I left you in Crete. And so I point those things out. One, we see who the author is, right? The author was Paul. Who he was writing to was Titus. And Titus was in Crete. All of those are written right there in those first few verses in Paul's introduction. And so with that, we see, we, we see who wrote it and to who he was writing. So who is Titus? Titus 
is uh, really Titus and Timothy are very, very similar. Uh, the books were written, Paul wrote both of them, two young pastors, two young pastors that were going into uh, not the easiest of situations, and they were written to encourage them. I feel like I'm standing over here. I need to just, like, y'all need to just come over here, and I need to come down. Um, but uh, I, as we look at this, Paul had spent countless hours with Titus. He had taught him, he had discipled him, he had mentored him, whatever that uh, word you want to use is. But, but Paul loved Titus, Paul poured into Titus, and Titus uh, in return loved Paul. And, and so as Titus, or as Paul is writing this to Titus, he is, uh, he's, he's really kind of encouraging him as he's about to walk off of a cliff into a really not good situation. Uh, we might, in our day and age, we might look at it and go, uh, Paul or Titus was not going to start a church in the middle of the Bible belt of people that just love Jesus, right? So when we get into this, we'll begin to see some of those things. So first, let's do this, a, a brief, brief overview of all these three chapters. So the first chapter is this, Paul is instructing Titus in a few things. So Titus is now going to be overseeing churches in the, the, the island of Crete. And Paul says, you need to do this. So the first chapter is an instructional thing for the leadership inside of the church. We need to have elders. We need to have leaders who are going to be sound in doctrine, who are going to be sound in their teaching. And we need to then push out a lot of the junk that has kind of crept in. And so the very first chapter is speaking of that. Paul, uh, Titus, go in. Find the men that are qualified to lead and qualified to stand beside you, who are going to be strong, who are going to be bold, who are going to do the things that need to do. And that, that's probably not going to be the easy, easiest. They're going to have to push people out. They're going to have to tell people, no, that's wrong. They're going to have to do all of those things. But you have to have the foundation as far as a solid leadership inside of the church so that we can take the next step. The next step in chapter 2 was really, uh, it's a focus on the character, a focus on the people through the sound teaching and through that sound doctrine, we begin to see what? It speaks of the older men teaching the younger men, the older women teaching the younger women, that there is a, uh, you don't want to call it a hierarchy, but there should be inside of the church men and women that are desiring to come down to a level of somebody that needs to be taught and needs to be brought along and needs to be loved in the Word of God so that they can disciple and pour into. I think if there's one thing, in the churches, there's a lot of things, but if one of the things in the churches that we have failed really, really badly in, it's that. Mature men and women in the faith not reaching back at the younger men and women and pulling them along and discipling them and mentoring them. We have done a very poor job in the church in that realm as a whole. So that's chapter number two. Chapter three, a lot of these things kind of begin to come, to, come together and that now we're looking at uh, godly leadership. We're looking at that godly leadership that is encouraging and, and teaching those things within the church body. And now we come into, now it's being lived out. It has to be lived out practically every single day. These people were not in the best of situations. So at their home, where they lived, where they went to work, some of them were, uh, whatever it would be, they had to now live that Christian life in their lives, in their world. So with that, a statement here that I've put. 
Uh, we need a strong church to be effective in life changing or life change and culture change. We need a strong church to be effective in life and culture change. And I've entitled the book this Life Changing Grace for World Changing Action. It's the grace of God through salvation that causes individual life change. And that, in turn, causes world changing action. If I am saved by the blood of Christ, if I believe this, if I do all of these things, then my actions ought to replicate that which I'm saying I believe in. And that has to start from teaching, sound doctrine, one-on-one here, and application. It all flows. And so as we look at a lot of these things, um, I believe that there's a lot of parallels in our cultures today with what we've seen here just in the simple introduction in what our culture is. How do we impact a culture? Paul speaks of it over and over in this passage in, in Titus that it's through Jesus Christ as Savior and our Heavenly Father. It's through salvation and the teaching of God's Word that ultimately impacts culture. Titus said that they would have to push out and silence false teaching as well as poisonous actions from the culture that were impacting the church. I I think... I don't think I'm stepping out on too much of a limb and making this statement. Our culture has impacted our church possibly more than the church has impacted our culture. That's a sad place to be. That's never been the intent of God's word. That wasn't the intent of the church. And so we come here and Paul is writing to Titus, encouraging Titus and saying, hey, these are all things that need to happen. There's a culture that is a mess and the only way that it changes is through the gospel teaching through practical living in everyday life. Saving truth of the gospel message is often unheard of or unheard because of the actions of others who show no evidence of life change from the gospel. Oftentimes the gospel message is not heard because we claim to love Jesus but none of our actions show that we love Jesus. What is the ultimate statement that everybody says? I won't come to church because why? It's full of hypocrites, right? I won't go to church, it's just full of hypocrites. To which we all say, yeah, I'm not a perfect individual. But I will say this, and and, and maybe this could be argued one way or the other, but I, I do believe this. We often make that statement, and I feel sometimes we also excuse horrible behavior by saying, well, yeah, we're not perfect. And so I think that there's absolute truth in that I am not a perfect individual. I am a hypocrite in the sense that I say something and I don't live perfectly based on what I say. But when we just go, well, yeah, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Come and join us. But we don't speak to some of the truth that is in that statement That many who claim Christianity have no form of redemptive change in their life. And that's not a good thing. And so we can't just excuse that thought. And so, as we look at this, our greatest, most compelling testimony as a Christian is that of a righteous, holy, self-giving life. 
Matthew chapter 5 and 16, Jesus said it this way. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our God is a saving God who saves that they might live godly lives in order to point others to life-saving faith and redemption in Him. I believe that there's something to evangelistic lifestyle, lifestyle evangelism. I believe that there's a lot to that. But we cannot, people do not come to Christ based on my lifestyle. They come to Christ based on my lifestyle plus hearing of the word of God. And so we have to mend those together. And when the opportunity comes to speak, it's faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, we have to be able to present that. We have to go through those things. But it starts with the heart. Grace changes that. Let's get into where Crete is and what all of those things are with this island. Crete was in the Mediterranean Sea, southeast of Greece, southwest of Asia Minor, Minor, north of Africa, roughly 160 miles long, 35 miles wide, very mountainous. Based on just that, what Titus was called to do was extremely difficult. Getting from here to there was not like, hey, let's just jump on the road. Let's get in the car and let's cry. No. Over mountains, not an easy trek. Even there, there wasn't, when they, they explored some of these things, one of the things I read that there wasn't, they didn't find Roman road systems there. So it made it that much more difficult. So there's a lot of things that were to go into place here. Based on its location, it was exposed to the teachings and leadings of the Greek and Roman civilization. And and the Cretans were not known as really good people at all. If you look at verse number 12, verse number 12 says this, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own. So that means somebody from within, this is what they said about themselves. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. It's pretty positive, pretty encouraging, right? And I'm going to ask your family, hey, tell me about your family. Tell me about the community that you live in. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> we're all a bunch of liars. We're evil, nasty people, right? That's, that's always encouraging. It's one thing for me to say it about you. It's another thing when you just say, this is who we are. And that's what was said. However, let's... let's Let's go to this real quick. Acts chapter 2. What took place in Acts chapter 2? Bible scholars, Acts chapter 2. Pentecost took place in Acts chapter 2. So we have Pentecost that takes place in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 verse 11, it says this. Cretes and Arabians who do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So that tells me that the Jews of Crete were at the day of Pentecost, where the gospel would have been taught and thousands of thousands of people would have been saved. So the Cretans, some of them, went to Pentecost, accepted Christ, came back home and started teaching and started a church or churches. Now, with that, we would say they probably weren't the strongest of churches as far as their solid faith. They didn't maybe not have the greatest of leadership, but now Titus comes in and that's where Titus comes to play. And so, Crete is known to be a place of liars, evil, brutes, lazy, gluttons. They were violent. It was a place known for their sexual corruption and exploitation. The Greek historian Polybius, 
in the second century BC said this about the Cretans. Money is so highly valued among them that its possession is not only thought to be necessary, but in the highest degree creditable. And, in fact, greed and avarice, avarice, I had to look it up because I didn't know what that meant, avarice is extreme greed, are so native to the soil in Crete that they are the only people in the world among whom no stigma attaches to any sort of gain whatsoever. Cretans, by their ingrained avarice, are engaged in countless public and private seditions, murders, and civil wars. He goes on to say, I will now address myself to showing that the Cretan constitution deserves neither praise nor imitation, nor with few exceptions you could find no habits prevailing in private life more steeped in treachery than those in Crete, and no public policy more inequitable. In a nutshell, that guy didn't speak highly of these people at all. In Acts or Titus 2, 12, 1 verse 12, did not speak highly of who these people are. And Titus is now going here to help a really, really bad culture hear and understand and grasp the word of God. One pastor said it this way, Crete was like Las Vegas times 100. Verses 10 and 11 say it this way in chapter number 1. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Let me ask you, who are they of the circumcision? The Jews, right? So, many unruly, vain talkers, deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. What is filthy lucre's sake? Money. So we look in these two verses, we look at verse number 12 as well, as we kind of hit that already, but we look at these things. So now we see a city, a culture, an island that loved money, that loved bad, unruly things, and then we see in the church house that it spoke of in verses 10 and 11, there are many unruly, vain talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, especially the Jews, especially, so now all of that had now come to the church, and Paul is writing to Titus and saying, Titus, we've got to get rid of all of those things, because they're teaching the law, they're teaching this, they're teaching things that are not according to the gospel. We've got to get rid of it. So, we have all of these things. Big overarching picture of Crete. Don't you want to go? <laughs> That's the island I want to go hang out with. No, we don't. But Titus went because that's where his call was. And part of his call was to be a part of culture change. Culture change starts through God's word. And so when we look at this today, I think that it has great implications for 2020. And not just because of what's going on in our culture just today. This has been years and years and years and years and years of things that are happening to bring us to a place where we are today. I think all of us would understand and agree to that. So how do we do this? How do we get into and change a culture and so we look at that, and it, according to what we're seeing, it has nothing to do with legislation. 
It has nothing to do with my voice being heard more than your voice. It has nothing to do with anything except for the teaching of God's word and applying God's word to our heart and actions that we would take. And so as we get into Titus chapter 1, we're going to look at four verses this morning. Uh, The first is longer, and then they're very short after that, the first couple points. But uh, let's dive in. Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning continuing in this sermon. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to uh, tug on the hearts of those that sit here. God, I pray that you would be with our community, our country. And God, I ask more than anything that you would rise up the church to be the church, uh, to love one another. And Lord, your word says that they will know us by the way that we love one another. And so God, would we Show forth love. Will we show forth unity as a body of Christ? Yes, that's Oasis, but more than that, even the church body, those in our community. Lord, would the churches unite together across the state? Would we unite together across the country? Would we unite together? For God, that is the greatest change that needs to happen is the church and you being shown forth through the actions because of your word. So God, I pray that you would allow this study to be one that just pierces our heart, that draws us to you, and that we would be the church that we need to be. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So life-changing grace for world-changing action starts with a commitment to knowledge of the truth. If we look at verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of of the truth, looking at that uh, knowledge of truth, which is after godliness. And so as we look at this, Paul is giving, uh, he's giving credibility to Titus. He is speaking as the apostle, Paul, an apostle, Paul, a servant, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is coming to them. He's writing this letter and he's saying, hey, because of my apostleship, because of who I am, I am now giving credibility to Titus so that Titus can come to you and share in this message. So it would be, and I've used this illustration, it's me as the leader of our church. The people that would stand before you, you would honor them and listen to them and hear them out because you respect me and you believe that I have made a decision that would be wise enough that such and such could come and speak before you. Does that make sense? Paul is giving credibility to Titus, and Paul says what? He calls himself a servant, a bond servant, a bond slave, having no life that he called his own, no will of his own, no purpose of his own, or plan of his own. All of Paul was subject to his Lord. His every thought, his every breath, his every effort 
was under the mastery of God. Now, obviously, Paul was not a perfect man, and you understand that, but Paul did all that he could. He served and honored God with his life. He was a slave of God. I also believe that Paul could have put a lot of things around his name. Paul was not some slouch of a man. He was a very, very intelligent man. He was trained and taught under some of the greatest educational minds in that day. He knew the law. He was studied. He was versed. He had a lot of things. In our day and age, it would have been Aaron Flanagan, and then what's after it? All of the PhDs and the stuff that I don't have. But that's, that's what we do, right? We give credibility based on all of the letters after the name. Paul had all of that, but he said what? The greatest thing that I can tell you is, I am Paul, a slave of Christ. And so he spoke of that. I make this reference here for all of us. There is a general sense in which every believer in the Lord should have this same thought. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 22 it says this, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Think about that. We just got through studying in the book of Galatians several months back. A part of that whole thing was what we talked about being free, the freedom that we have in Christ. And here's what we have. And if you remember back then, we said some of the same things. Our freedom of, in Christ did what for us? It now causes us to become a servant, a slave of God. That's humbling. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it this way. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Peter 1, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, we no longer belong to ourselves, and because we no longer belong to ourselves, we see in verse or Second Corinthians five it says, "And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto ourselves, dumb to themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again." Our lives should not be of ourselves. It's not about me. It should be about him. And Paul makes that statement: "I am a bond servant. I am a slave." of Christ. I have been made free that I could become a servant of God. I have been bought with the price, therefore I will glorify God in my body and my spirit. I understand that the things, the redemption that was given to me was not based on silver and gold, but it was from the the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That he died for all that we would what? Not live unto ourselves, but live unto him. See, Paul recognized his call. Paul recognized these things. And he says, as I do this, as I teach, as I write, I am a, I'm a servant of God. I am an apostle. In the, in, he, in, in the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, he always points it back to Christ, to knowing God, to learning more, to understanding more, to diving into the Word of God is the foundation of where he was. 
He knew his call was to lead others. He knew his call was to teach and to share that others would then come to know him. He speaks of those, the, the, uh, the elect or the chosen. And I'm not going to speak a lot of that here this morning, but we, we see in that he had a responsibility that he was to proclaim the message of the gospel in order that others would be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've said this already, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Paul spoke the word that it would be heard. He shared his faith in evangelism. And that that would also give, that knowledge would come according to godliness. Godliness is an action. Godliness is a character thing. Godliness is all of these pieces. The word godliness is the manifestation of the Spirit's work of sanctification. It's God's truth that produces godliness. The more that I know God and know God's word, my actions should speak to what I am studying, should speak to what I am knowing, should speak to what I'm hiding in my heart. And then this is exciting to me. In verse number two, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. All of these things, this is to know God's word and to, to be that servant, to be that slave and to, to, to all of those things, the faith according to the knowledge of truth, which is after God. So we see all of these things. What does it say then? It, is, it says, in hope of eternal life. Listen, the more that I know God, the more that I long for eternity. The more that I long to be with God because I know him, because I'm learning, because I'm growing in who he is and I desire what? I desire to be with him. The longer, the more that I, I see family and friends that go on before, the more that I, I, I my mom was telling me some stories about uh, she had found something and going through stuff as they're getting ready to move. She found something that was from her childhood and she began to speak of uh, grandparents that I didn't know. And it brings me to that place of I long. I long to, to know family, but I, I long for eternity. And the longer, the more that I know God, the more that I long for that. And Paul is making that statement of knowing God the truths of God's word in hope of eternal. Listen, if I long to be with God and I realize that etern the eternal aspect of this life, every other thing in my life ought to reflect that. The actions, the thoughts of my neighbors dying and going to hell, the thought of my family dying and go to a literal hell, the thoughts of all of these things ought to impact how I serve God ought to be impacted because of an eternal hope that I have in him because it's real tomorrow eternity is real if we can't look around us and go holy cow <laughs> this is a mess and point and see that we need a savior our world needs a savior if we can't see that I, I hope that you're seeing that. How's that? I truly hope that you're seeing that. That as you grow in Christ, that you are literally looking on the TV and you're going, oh my, people need the Lord. People need Jesus. Everything that we ought to do in, in, in realm of that eternal thought and hope of eternal life, it, it changes everything. 
So the very first thought, life-changing grace for world-changing action starts in the knowledge of the truth of God's word. The second one is life-changing grace for world-changing action starts with a commitment to the command of God. Really, what we're looking at is an obedience. The promise and command is that the, the word would be preached. God's word would be manifested. It would be brought to light. It would be expressed clearly through the preaching and teaching of God's word. Paul says this was entrusted to me and I then have to give it to you. But it can't stop with us. See, we look at these passages of scripture like this and we say, well, that's what you're there for, sir. (laughs) I'm glad we've got a preacher that can stand on the stage and that can stand behind a pulpit and that can teach on a video and can do this. I'm glad they can do that. The reality is this. That doesn't speak to just the pastor. That speaks to preaching is one who would proclaim the truths of God's word. If you know Christ, the command is to go and to tell and to share. Therefore, you are a preacher. Go home and tell your kids. Pastor told me that I'm a preacher. I don't know, but that's the reality. I have been called to do what? To go. Paul's command, according to the word of God, if we look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that what? That I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul was under the commandment of God to preach the gospel of salvation. He was made a minister according to the stewardship from God for your benefit, is what he said in Colossians. In 1 Corinthians, he said he was under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. See, the word was to be manifested through the preaching to which, I would say, if you are growing in God's word, if we are doing what it says and looking at the acknowledgement of the truth or the knowledge of the truth and we are growing in God's word and God's word is stirring in our heart, then we can't keep our mouth shut. There's a lot of people that spew a lot of garbage about whatever team that they love or whatever athlete that they love or whatever movie that they love or music that they love or whatever it is. We all have a, a, a very natural thing of man I went here and this was the greatest food or I watched this and this was the greatest whatever we all have that propensity to tell everybody all of that but when it comes to the word of God we're like well the pastor is the preacher it doesn't work that way Titus could not have changed an island what did Paul tell Titus to do go Pick out men that are sound in doctrine, that are sound in teaching, that have a character that is a godly character, and then now go and disperse it and go. I need you. But it's not just me as Aaron needs people in his church to go. No, it's God has called us and God has commanded us. Paul's specific command was to go and be a preacher. And that was the call on his life. The call on my life is to be a pastor at Oasis Baptist Church today. 
That's an obedience that I have to walk in. But all of us as believers are to walk in obedience to the Lord's command, and that is that we would all go and share and talk and tell and live a life. We are to act life-changing grace for world-changing action. It's that we would watch and study and know and grow in the Word of God, that God's Word would change us internally, that we would then do those things in obedience to the command that God has given to us. Paul introduces something here, and we'll see this, and then it'll make a little bit more sense as we study a little bit more in the coming weeks. But in verse number uh, 3, he says, But hath in due time manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. And so you might look at that and go, well, that doesn't make any sense of why that would be brought up. But one, we see the commandment of God. But it says God, our Savior. I believe in some of the stuff that I have read over the last Um, this last week spending more time in this is that most of the time Paul makes this reference and he would say God our Father. If you look to verse number 4 he switches it. Mine own son after the common faith grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and then what? The Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you see the difference? In verse number 3 it says God our Savior. In verse number 4 it says Jesus Christ our Savior. We might look at that and go, well, that's, we would recognize a trinity. We would look at some of those things. Well, in a cultural context, their culture was God's plural, and it was other things that would lead. And so the way that they would reference a Savior was not the same that the gospel would reference God or Jesus Christ as Savior. And so they wouldn't have put Jesus as Savior, God are we, I know that's kind of confusing, but Paul was making a point, I believe, of reference within the God's culture plurality within the Greek and Roman culture of religion. He was making that reference that God the Father is the Savior because He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That they were the three in one, that God is Savior. And, he, and then even in that, you could see what God so loved the world, that God would be God the Father, right? But God the Father loved so much that he did what? He sent his only son. So God the Father is a part of that Savior. He's a part of that salvation and all of those things. And so I, I, I make that reference. It'll be uh, more, it makes more sense as we get forward and looking at some of the other religious things that were going around at that time. But he does make reference to that uh, there inside of that passage of Scripture in verse number 3. And so as we look at that, as we continue to move forward, the thoughts are this, that life-changing grace for world-changing action starts with a knowledge of the truth of God's Word. It is continued through a commitment to a command of God, and those are in obedience as we obey what God has commanded us to do, and then lastly is a commitment to the people of God. And so as we look at this, And in kind of closing this morning, this third point is very, very short. But Paul was committed to God's people. Again, Paul was entrusted with the gospel. And so as Paul was entrusted with the gospel, the gospel was committed to him so that he would then what? Entrust it to 
others. See, our job in the preaching aspect of this, it's, it's all of these things kind of coming together. My job, I have been entrusted with the gospel message. I can't keep it. I have to give it. I have been entrusted with a position as a pastor. I can't just hold all things here. I have to, part of my job is to teach and to train others. They say it in the, in the, in the world we, we live in, right? We're supposed to replace ourselves, right? I should be training others to replace my position. That's very real right here. If I am entrusting you with the gospel, I want to train you up to the best of your ability to use the gifts that God has given to you so that you may be able to teach, so that you may be able to do whatever those things are because that's my responsibility is to teach and to train in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is, is making, he's a commitment to people and to the people of God. And in turn, what that does is if I'm entrusting that to you, and then the goal is that you would take it and you would entrust it to somebody else. We look at chapter number two and we see the old giving to the young and so on and so forth. And we see the church now being the church. Why? Because we are entrusting, we care, we are committed to the church, to God's word, God's word. If we love God, we love people. That's life changing. And so we see these things. I believe that as we look at this, Paul was committed to God's people. It was to Titus, as we see in this book, in this letter. It was to others. But it was also how it was being taught, as we'll go through the rest of this, this letter here. Is that it would be that we would pour into one another. Which ultimately pours into our culture. We have done a complete disservice from the church's side of things by allowing the culture to influence what we do. And I'm not saying Oasis. I'm sure there's things that we can do a lot better with that. But just the church. And, and as we come to this, you guys, most of you in here know me and you know my passion. One of my greatest passions is the home and the family. And and we failed in that because the church has failed to teach and to do what the church is supposed to do. We have failed the home. And in doing that, we have failed our communities and we have failed a culture. And the church has to get back to being the church, to saying, no, it's not it's not acceptable. Listen, it is not acceptable for you to come here and say, well, I go to Oasis Baptist Church and he is my pastor. My Christian walk is not your Christian walk. Your Christian walk is your Christian walk. I want to encourage you and there's going to be times and it may be weeks, it may be months where it literally is because of Pastor Aaron was faithful and he encouraged, I, I did it again. I, I stayed, I, I read my Bible. There was nothing in me that wanted to read my Bible, but he encouraged me today. There's going to be times like that and there's times like that that it's for me as well. That's why I meet with men that say, hey Aaron, how are you doing how is your relationship with your wife? How are you doing with your kids? How is your personal study going? I have people that ask me those questions. Why? Because there's times in my life where it's like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to. So I get that. 
But far too often in our culture, the American church culture, the pastor, when the pastor fails, the church fails, and nobody goes back to church because that pastor hurt me. Time out. Time out. That's not God's word. It's sad that a leader will make a decision that hurts lots of people. But that's where it goes back to my relationship with God has to be my walk with God. And my walk with God impacts my family. And then that that expands and the church is, is a part of that. That's why this is so important. That when we look at it, it's a commitment to the word of God. It's a commitment to, the, to be obedient to the commands of God. And it's a commitment to the people of God. That we are committed. I am committed to teaching and training and giving you everything and letting you know. I will do everything I can to help your walk with God. But that walk with God has to be yours. Period. And we've lived in a... Man, this was not anywhere in my notes. But we've lived in a culture of, I don't even know what, that it's, it's acceptable for me to stand here and, and take that on. And it's not. It can't be. It cannot be acceptable. And so the book of Titus is practical for today in that it is, the church doing what the church needs to do by putting godly leaders in, training people to love people and to do what the church is supposed to do so that out there we live that way. God's word is very clear. They will know you by the way that you love one another. That's important that we do all of these things that unite us together to do what we're called to do as the church. And so I pray that this study as a whole will be encouraging. I pray that today was, uh, as an overview, we, we see some things that we look at and we go, okay, I can do better at this. I can do better at that. And that we can take that as a personal challenge as well. We just want to say thank you for joining with us again today. We pray that the service has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Here at Oasis, we have a desire to walk alongside of you, to be a partner in your walk with the Lord. So if you have made any decision today, we would love to pray with and celebrate that with you. So will you please take a moment and fill out that connect form or text decision to the number provided below. Oasis is supported by the gifts of faithful people like you. So if you have a desire to give to the mission and ministry of Oasis, you can text GIVE to the number provided below. Click on the GIVE link or mail in your gift to the church office. Lastly, we have a desire to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can email us at prayer at oasislv.church. Church, we just kicked off a brand new series in the book of Titus, where we have been challenged to live a life that is founded in God's word so we can be world changers. So let's be that and be passionate followers of Christ.